Kavanaugh. How are we doing? Y'all awake? Oh, my goodness. Stand up. Let's get it going this morning. It is all because of Jesus. I'm alive.
Awesome. Great singing this morning. Hey, good morning, Kavanaugh Church family. How's everyone doing? Good. Good. Hope you guys have had an awesome holiday weekend full of family, fireworks, and food, right? How many of you at least did any of those yesterday, all right? Grilled out, launched a lot of fireworks before and after midnight, right? My neighbors kept me up at least till 1.30, all right? It was like machine guns going off. But anyways, it's good to see you guys and so thankful that you are here today. Just like that song says, he's alive. He's alive. Because he lives, you and I get to live also. And I get to celebrate that with you this morning. I'm so thankful for that. So that message rings true, and today we worship the Lord. So I'm going to invite you all to stand, and we're going to ask God to bless our services this morning, and we're going to continue to worship right after that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Lord, just the fact that we are able to meet here today and, and live in that freedom in our country, God, we're so thankful. Thank you so much for giving us life, for the sacrifice that you made so that we could live and experience you, a reunion, a union with you, God. So, Lord, I pray that as the word is spoken today, that our hearts are touched. And what you want us to do for you and the gospel and for your kingdom and to the rest of this world, God, I pray that you ignite a fire in us so we can be all that we can be so we can reach a world that's in desperate need of you. Lord, we love you, and again, I thank you so much for being able to be here together as your children, God, and as God's word is spoken today, our hearts are ready to receive it. We love you in your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship.
verse 37 says, But in all these things, we are completely victorious through God who showed his love for us. Yes, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruling spirits, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anything else in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God pursues us with a constant, unending love. And his affection for us is great. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Let's sing this morning.
your amazing love and the fact that Jesus loves me. Lord, help us not to get over that. You came to set us free and save us and set us on a, a new path. We praise you today in this place for that unfailing, never-changing love that pursues us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. person. Good looking crowd out there. It's so good to see your faces, all right? Thank you for being here. And those uh, watching online, we welcome you to our service today as well. What a great weekend huh? to celebrate our independence and our freedom. Uh, uh, Nathan, I agree. I tell you what, I, I've, I came to the conclusion last night that uh, we really have more money than, than we need, and uh, we've become bored not doing anything because it sounded like WW3 on my street last night. And uh, it, it, it got so loud, firecrackers going off, I just went out in the backyard. I do live outside the city limits. I went out in the backyard and did some target practice with the 22, because uh, it didn't sound any different than firecrackers. And Zane came out there and said, Dad, are you shooting your gun? I said, yeah, you know, it just kind of blends in with the firecrackers. Yeah. <laughs> I love America, don't you? Hey, I love it so much. I want you to stand and join me as we say our pledge to the American flag, which is in the center. Uh, the flag still stands for freedom. And even though uh, the flag has been under attack lately, I'm thankful that I live in this country. And I want you to join me as we say the pledge to the American flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen? Amen? Don't sit down because now I want you to direct your attention to the flag that is to its right. And I tell you what, if I am devoted to the American flag, I am much more devoted to the flag on the right, which is the Christian flag. So join me as we say the pledge to the Christian flag. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. One Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again, with life and liberty for all who believe. Now you can say amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, today I've been compelled to preach a message from God's Word about the need that we have in our country and the need that we have for revival. Um, I've been intrigued through my entire life in ministry with the subject of revival, both biblical revivals and revivals that have occurred throughout history. And church, I am convinced that only a great, far-reaching revival will save our nation from moral and political destruction. Uh, now, I'm in favor of Christians getting involved in politics. I, I don't think there's anything better than having Christians in political offices. And, and I think the church should take a stand on political issues that have moral ramifications. But church, let me tell you, 
our root problem is not a political problem. It is a spiritual problem. And only a spiritual revival can turn the moral tide of our nation. And like never before, America needs revival. So what do I mean by revival? Well, I'm not talking about a week of meetings that occurs in a local church when you invite an evangelist or a guest preacher in to preach. No, the term revival refers to a special movement of God in which his church is dramatically refocused and revitalized. And as a result of that, there is ensuing conviction and conversion amongst the lost. It was Charles Finney who said, Revival is nothing less or nothing more than a new beginning of obedience on our part. And and really, that's what revival is. The people of God becoming obedient to the Word of God. A.W. Tozer said this about revival. He defined revival as that which changes the moral climate of a community. And we need the moral climate of our world, and specifically America, to change. This is the kind of revival that we need. Not just an emotional experience that leaves a tingle up and down your spine. No, we need to see God's work because our nation needs it like never before. And so this week I have been compelled to preach from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, Verses 12, 13, and 14. This is one of the premier passages in the Old Testament talking about the revival that we need in our land today. And as you're turning to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I want to preempt it with a passage from Jeremiah chapter 18 that's not going to be on the screen. Let me just tell you what's happening in Jeremiah chapter 18. One morning, God gets Jeremiah up early and says, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the city square, and I'm going to direct you to the potter's house. And so he went to the potter's house, and there he saw a potter making a piece of a vessel on the potter's wheel. And as he worked this clay, he noticed a defect in it, and so he collapsed the entire clay and started over again. And the vessel that he made, the piece of pottery that he made, was beautiful. And so God said to Jeremiah, I want you to take a lesson from the potter and the potter's wheel. If the potter has the prerogative to destroy the vessel that he's making and to remake it, do I not have the same prerogative as God of the universe and God of nations? So I'm going to speak this to Israel, but it applies to all nations. And this is what he says. If I have chosen a nation to destroy and to tear down because of their evil and wickedness, and then that nation repents of their wickedness, I will relent from the destruction that I have for them, and I will bless them. On the other hand, if I have blessed a nation and chosen a nation and am sending blessings to that nation, and they, in response to my blessings, disobey my commandments, do I not have the prerogative as the king of the universe to send destruction on that nation because of their disobedience to me? Now, folks, I want you to step back and look at this. God is God of the universe, and God is God over the nations. 
He can either bless us or destroy us. And he says, here's the deal. If you obey me and follow my word, you'll have my blessings. I'll open the windows of heaven and bless you. But if you disobey me, I'm going to send destruction. Okay? You got that snapshot? We see that throughout the Bible. And so it brings us to our passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now, I'm just going to read 12, 13, and 14, but let me give you the history of what's happening here. In this passage, the temple to God has just been completed, and Solomon, in chapter 7, prays a prayer of dedication over this new beautiful edifice, this new beautiful temple that is now dedicated to God. You'll remember that Solomon's dad, his father, David, had a burning desire in his heart to build a temple to God. He said, God, you've always lived and dwelt in a tent. Let me build you a a temple, a beautiful building, so that you can dwell in this building and we can come and worship you in the building. And God said, okay, I will allow your son to do it. You can't do it because you've been a man of war. But I will allow your son Solomon to build this temple for me. So David did all the, the planning, all the working. He raised all the money to build it. And his son Solomon came along and built this beautiful new church building. And all of the people were excited. They filled the temple, the courts of the temple. They praised and they worshiped God. They were on fire for God. Now, there's something exciting when you're building something new, isn't there? Now, I just wish all of us were here every day to experience, we're building a new church out here. Yeah? I told the guy yesterday that, that doesn't live here in town, he asked me about the church, and I said, well, we may be one of the craziest churches in Fort Smith because, you know, COVID hit and we broke ground on a $5 million building, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you know what? Here's, here's what I believe, that when COVID is over with, people are going to be hungry for the house of God. People are going to need to be able to come and worship. And we've been needing a building for 18 years. So you know what? When this is over with, we're going to have a place for a lot of people to come and worship God. And God is going to turn a bad situation into a blessing. And right now, our people are excited. I'm excited about it. So I can relate to what's happening here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. That This building has been built, and all the people are excited. The king has prayed a prayer of dedication And then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And he said to him, I've heard your prayer, Solomon, and I've chosen this place, this new sanctuary, for myself as a house of sacrifice. And if we stopped right there at verse 12, we'd think, A-OK, everything's good. I mean, the temple has been built. God's filled the temple. All the people are excited. Everything is awesome. Okay? But then we come to verse 13. God just pivots. He just turns everything on a dime. And he says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or when I command the locusts to devour the land, or when I send pestilence among my people, what in the world has just happened? We have just come off of cloud nine, all ecstatic about the building and dedication of this new temple. And God turns things on a dime and says, listen, When you rebel against me and disobey me, I'm going to send pestilence on the land and I'm going to destroy you. What's up with that, God? Well, here's the deal. God knows us. And God knows that within a single generation, we can turn our backs on God. 
Did you realize that? It only takes one generation. I can take you places in Fort Smith. I can take you places in Midland, Texas, where there was once growing, thriving churches on fire for God, and, and now there's nothing. I can take you to Hot Springs. There was a beautiful church in Hot Springs that was growing at one time. You know what it is now? It's an antique store. Because in one generation or less, people can turn their backs on God. And so God is giving a warning right here. As they are about to enter this new sanctuary, he says, listen, you keep your focus on me. Because when it happens, when it happens, and it's going to happen, when you turn your back on me and become disobedient to my word, here's what I'm going to do. Shut up heaven. I'm going to close the windows of heaven and not send rain. So the fields are not going to grow. The locusts are going to devour the land. That's what happened in the Old Testament. Shutting up heaven in the New Testament is the blessings from God just stop coming. And we as the people of God wither on the vine. So that's the warning. And now we're all depressed. We're saying, give me a break, preacher. Well, here's the break, verse 14. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will what? Heal their land. Heavenly Father, that's what we need today. We need our land to be healed. We need our sins to be forgiven. So dear God, I pray that you would hear our prayers today as we cry out for mercy and as we cry out for revival. For I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. What a great passage of Scripture. I'm going to focus on verse 14 today. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Three things I want you to see from verse 14. Number one, there is a problem that stops revival. There is a problem that will shut the windows of heaven so that we not have revival blessings. What is that problem? Well, verse 14 tells us, if my people who are called by my name, who's he talking to here? He's talking to us, to the modern day church. That's who he's talking to, us, if my people. Notice God is talking to his own people, Christians. So the problem that stops revival, the problem that hinders revival is you. It's me. The main reason America is in the shape she's in is because Christians are spiritually out of shape. Forgive the analogy, but we've just gone, we've grown fat and lazy and complacent, and we've kept our mouth shut. We are to walk worthy of the calling by which we have been called by God. What have we been called to? We have been called to be light in a dark world. We have been called to be salt in a corrupt society. The Bible says that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's who we are to be. A light to the world. Healing salt in a corrupt society. Now guys, it, it, it doesn't amaze me that sinners act like sinners. Because that's the way sinners act. They, just, they act in a sinful way. 
So when you turn on the TV and you see all this sinful activity going on in our world, understand that's been happening since Genesis chapter 3. And as bad as it is in America, you know what? It could get worse. It got worse in Noah's day, didn't it? So it doesn't amaze me one bit that sinners act like sinners. What is so shocking is the fact that many Christians act no different than the sinners act. God addresses his people because, quite frankly, we have failed to live by the standards that Almighty God has set up in his word. And here's the deal. When a righteous, when righteousness is taken out of a society, that society is going to collapse morally from within. Why? Because you cannot legislate morality. People live right when their hearts are right with God. People change their sinful ways when they are converted to Jesus Christ. And the love of Jesus lives inside of them. And that happens one person at a time. This passage tells us that the reason there is no revival, the reason there is no blessings from God, is because God has shut up heaven. He said that in verse 13, when I shut up heaven. So what does that mean? What does it mean that that heaven is shut up? Why? Why in the world would God even shut up heaven? Well, we don't have to go very far to find out. Just back one previous chapter. 2 Chronicles 6, verse 26 tells us that when heaven is shut up and there is no rain, it is because God's people have sinned against God. Are you with me? Because we, the church, have sinned against God. Because believers have sinned against God. That's why heaven is shut up. So what in the world have we done? What sin could we commit that would shut heaven up? Well, I hope you understand that the the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And there is a parallel passage that tells us what this sin is that shuts heaven up. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Here's what the Word of God says. And it shall be that if you hearken diligently to my commandments, which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then I will, here it is, open heaven and give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and even your oil. So, according to Deuteronomy chapter 11, what is the sin that we've committed that has shut heaven up? It's really a threefold sin. First of all, we have failed to hear God. Where do I get that? Well, this passage tells us that when you hearken diligently to me, I will open heaven. When you hearken diligent to me, I will send rain. God said, it's because you don't listen to me that I have shut heaven up. Church, refocus right here. I'm losing you. Refocus. Did you realize that the greatest sin that you and I as Christians can commit is failure to hear God? That that is the greatest sin that you as a Christian can commit, just failure to listen to God. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a statistic guy. I like reading statistics and and I've been reading these statistics here lately, and, you know, I mean, I, I guess you can believe it. 
They say that the average Christian, and I've got a problem with the average Christian because none of you ought to be an average Christian in here. But they say the average Christian in America today spends about five minutes a week in Bible study and in prayer. Now think about that. Five minutes a week. There's seven days in a week, so you're spending less than a minute a day in prayer and Bible study. Now, I'm not too smart, but here's, here's what I can say to you guys. Okay, if you're a guy, raise your hand. Man, you're married, raise your hand. Okay, If you spend less than five minutes a week talking to your wife, you got trouble. Don't you? Or listening. There you go, Ronnie. What's even worse than that? Researchers say that the average preacher spends three minutes a day in Bible study and prayer. Really? I got to believe that. When I first started ministry years ago, I can remember reading this, and I know it's true because I know the school it happened in, there was a poll taken in the leading evangelical theological seminary, a place that trains young pastors. The question was asked these seminarians, do you have a daily quiet time with God? 93% of them responded by saying, no. <laughs> Here's the problem. Preachers aren't spending time in God's word. Therefore, they can't preach God's word. If I'm not studying God's word, I can't give you God's word. And so what we're hearing across pulpits across America today is pop culture, how to feel good, how to live good. We need God's word. I said this first service, I just got to say it again because I'm kind of at a point where it sounds like I'm getting on to you and I'm being mean. Is that the way I'm coming across, being mean? Because I don't want to be that way. I, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm speaking down to you. I'm, I'm speaking to all of us here. This, this is of real concern. It, Ronnie, it reminds me of the story about the, the uh, Baptist church member who lived next door to a Methodist. And the Methodist heard that the Baptist church fired their preacher. And so they were out in the front yard one day, and the Methodist asked the Baptist, said, I hear you fired your preacher. Why'd you fire him? And the Baptist just spouted off. He said, well, he kept telling us we were going to hell. We kind of got sick of hearing that, so we fired him. <laughs> the Baptist can do that. Methodists can't, you know. They, they, don't, they don't operate like that. So several months later, the Baptist church hired a new preacher. And so the Methodist asked the Baptist again, well, how do you like your new preacher? Oh, he's great. He's the best pastor we've ever had. The Methodist said, well, what does this guy say to you on Sunday mornings? Baptist thought about it and said, well, he tells us we're going to hell too. <laughs> Methodist said, well, what's the difference? The Baptist said, well, you know, when the first preacher said it, it he kind of sounded like he was happy about it. But when the second preacher tells us he's, we're going to hell, it's like it's breaking his heart. It's breaking my heart, church. We have failed to hear God. I want you to know that Jesus never missed his quiet time. He listened to God every day. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 tells us that he went to a solitary place to pray. G. Campbell Morgan commenting on this says, As was his custom 
Church, if Jesus needed to hear from his heavenly Father every day, how much more do you and I need to hear from him? And God says, because you're not listening to me, I'm going to close up heaven. The second aspect of that sin is failure to love God. Deuteronomy 11 says to love the Lord your God. The the reason we don't love God is because we haven't been listening to God. In John chapter 14 and in Mark chapter 12, it commands us that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Our heart calling for a reality of love. Our soul calling for an intensity of love. Our mind calling for a sagacity of love. Our strength calling for an activity of love. Now, I don't know about you. I was raised out in West Texas. We keep things kind of simple. But if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it sounds like to me you're loving him with everything you have. That he is number one in your life. So let me just couch up close to you right now and ask you the question. Do you love Jesus? Do you really love Jesus? Is is Jesus the most important person in your life? Because let me tell you, it's real easy to allow other things to take priority in your life and to put Jesus on the back burner. Do we want the heavens opened? Well, we need to listen to God. We need to love God. The third sin is failure to serve God. That verse says, if you hearken diligently to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. The heart calling for faithfulness and service, the soul calling for fervency and service. You can't put a price tag on serving Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that God would not only open the windows of heaven and send revival on our church, but that we would respond by saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. Because you're the most important thing in my life. Mm. What, What is the problem that stops revival? It's you and it's me. So here's the deal. Let's not be the problem. Don't be the problem. Listen to God. Love God. And serve God with all of your heart and with all of your strength. Now, let's go on to something a little bit better. Get off the problem. Let's go to the process that jump starts revival. The process that starts revival. What is that? Well, look at verse 14 again. If my people, which are called by my name, shall do these four things. Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive your sins, and I will heal your land. So what is this process that starts revival? I think it is a repentant mindset that affects our entire response to God. And he gives us these four searching considerations. He said, here's what you are to do. Number one, there needs to be brokenness in your life. For he says, if my people will humble themselves, humble themselves, That is a unique Hebrew word for humble themselves. In fact, the same word is found in Judges chapter 8, verse 28. I want to read that verse so you can see how it's translated there. Same word, same word that is used. It says the Midians were what? Subdued under Gideon. And they, read that, 
never more lifted up their heads. I, sounds like to me they got whipped. <laughs> they got beat down pretty bad, man. They were humbled. They were broken. They were subdued so that they could not even lift up their heads. Uh, this is a brokenness that we seldom see in our day and generation. It means to voluntarily humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Now, here's the deal. We have a choice when we do this. Okay? You can decide to do it today. You can say, okay, God, break me. Humble me. Now, it's one thing to say that. It's quite another thing to allow God to do that to you. Because we're pretty prideful. I mean, we're, we're pretty headstrong. Aren't we? Aren't we? It starts at an early age and it just gets stronger as we get older. We're headstrong. We're proud. We don't like to be told we've done wrong or that we've sinned. We don't want to be broken. But here's the deal. You can choose to do that today and voluntarily submit yourself to God and say, God, break me. Or you can just not do that and one day... He will break you. One day he will humble you. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if you wait that long, it's too long. Way too late. So choose to do it today. Let me introduce you to Evan Roberts. He was the man that God used to light the 1904 revival in Wells. Just an ordinary guy. He was a miner, worked in the mines 12 hours a day. When he came out, he gave himself to, to prayer and Bible study. He loved the Lord God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. One night he was at a revival meeting listening to this old preacher by the name of uh, Seth Joshua preach on brokenness as a prerequisite to revival. Young Evan Roberts was in the back of the room. But he, he got so convicted on the subject of brokenness that right in the middle of the sermon, he got up and he walked down to the mourner's bench, what we call altars today. And he knelt down at the mourner's bench, and right in the middle of this man's message, he cries out to God, Oh God, bend me. Bend me. Yea, Lord, bend me. Said Joshua stopped preaching, looked down at him, and said, Young man, if you mean that, if you really mean that, God is going to use you in revival. And God did. Young Evan Roberts got up from that altar and he started some 300 prayer meetings that spread through the land. And the Welsh revival started in his heart that night. Why? Because he was willing to be broken. Starts right here with brokenness. I mean, we've got to mean business with God. Lord, break me. Bend me. Lord, conform me to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Lord, if there is any sin in my life that is diverting my love and attention from you to something else, Lord, I pray that you would convict me of that and break me of that. Lord, if I have some kind of bad attitude, if there is pride in my heart, God, break me. You've got to choose to do it. So here's the process that hastens revival. It starts with brokenness. Second is prayerfulness. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and will pray. 
Now, there are about 12 Hebrew words used in the Old Testament for prayer. The one chosen here by the Holy Spirit is unique. It means to pray with self-judgment. To pray with self-judgment. Now, to be honest, that, that's not a very popular way to pray. <laughs> I, I've got dozens of books in my library on prayer. There's not a single one of them that discusses praying in this manner. <laughs> to pray in a self-judging kind of way? Are we willing to pray until self dies and only the glory of God remains? Because that's the kind of praying it's talking about. Let me fast forward to Duncan Campbell. He tells of the time in Upper Scotland when there were two ladies concerned with their community and in their land because the churches were empty and the taverns were full. You know what a tavern is? It's a bar or a honky-tonk. And so the taverns were full of people and the churches were empty and sin was rampant in their society. Sin was everywhere. And so these, these two ladies coveted with their pastors from their church to pray for revival. And I don't know how many pastors were on staff. There were multiple pastors. The ladies were going to pray in their home every Tuesday and Thursday nights from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. The pastors were meeting in an abandoned barn praying during the same time period. And they prayed for weeks, months. Nothing happened. Until finally one night, one of the associate pastors stood up from where he was kneeling in this barn, and he said, you know what, guys? We've been doing this wrong. He said, we're hypocrites. We're the ones who need to be revived. And he quoted Psalms 24, which says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessings from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And he cried out, O oh God, are my hands clean? Lord, is my heart pure? And he fell on his face, repenting of his own sins. The 1951 Hebrides revival started that night in that barn. And it spread like wildfire. Within a matter of weeks, the taverns were empty and the churches were full. Historians tell us that sailors would come in from the sea and as soon as their feet hit dry ground, they would fall on their faces repenting of their sins. The greatest revival of Scotland happened because of this kind of praying. To further emphasize that kind of praying, here's the third ingredient, earnestness. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and what? Seek my face. The word literally means to seek after with earnestness. Jacob is a good illustration of this. Remember Jacob, he fought with God all night. He fought with the angel of God all night. They wrestled all night. The angel popped his hip out of joint. But Jacob wouldn't let go of that angel. And here's what he cried out. I will not let you go until you bless me. That's what this passage is talking about. That kind of earnestness. God, I've been praying about this, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep praying until you bless. 
You remember not long ago, I told you the story of Dr. Andrew Murray of South Africa. He was praying in his church for revival in his church and in South Africa. And you remember the story? He was in his office on a Saturday night preparing for his message. Uh, An associate pastor was in the the basement or the lower chamber of the church leading a prayer meeting that happened every Saturday night. It was just a normal prayer meeting. Remember this story? But something cool happened. A little girl, 12 years old, stood up and began testifying. And as soon as she started talking, those present said, that was the sound of a mighty rushing wind that blew through the lower chamber of that church. And when that happened... Everyone responded one of two ways. They either stood up giving praise to God or they fell on their face confessing their sins. But everybody was doing one of those two things. The associate pastor tried to stop it because it was a church that, you know, they they didn't allow multiple people talking at the same time and they didn't allow confusion to be going on. And he saw this as confusion and he was trying to quiet the people down, but he couldn't stop them. So he ran upstairs to get Dr. Murray, who hurried down the stairs. He saw all this going on, and he said, stop it. Stop it. I will not have this confusion in my church. (laughs) But they didn't stop. There was a man there who had experienced the 1857 revival in America. He tapped Dr. Murray on the shoulder and said, Dr. Murray, I believe God is here. And if I were you, I would not touch the ark of God. (laughs) Here's the deal. He had been praying diligently for 13 years for revival to come. And then when it came, he he didn't even recognize it. That's a whole other story. My point is this. How earnest are you in your prayer? You've got somebody in your family that's unsaved. They're not living for the Lord. Keep praying for them. Don't give up. You may be their only hope. You keep praying. You keep praying. You've been praying for Kavanaugh Church. Don't stop praying for Kavanaugh Church. You've been praying for your pastors. Don't stop praying for us as we fight on the front lines. Come alongside of us. Let's pray together for victory. Don't give up praying. I wish I could just rip open my heart this morning and lay it out here on the on the floor so that you could see where I'm coming from. I want revival so bad for America and for this church. And I realize the only way it can happen is when we come together as God's people and diligently and earnestly seek God's face and pray for it. And so here's what I've been praying. God, Light a fire in the hearts of our people. May may there be a small army of people from Kavanaugh Church who who come to me and say, Pastor, I want to be a prayer partner. I want to pray with you and the staff and keep praying that God would send revival because that's what it takes. Really, it's it's as simple as that, that we mean business and that we pray. Why? If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and here's the last one, and turn from their wicked ways. What he's talking about here is holiness. God never pours his blessings into filthy vessels. God never pours his revival into dirty cans. So we are to pursue holiness. Why? Because it's required. 
I understand holiness like this. Holiness is a divine gift imparted to us upon conversion or salvation. So when I invite Jesus into my heart and confess my sins to him, and Jesus comes into my life through his Holy Spirit, I am made holy. I am made just like Jesus. Positional sanctification is what that's called in theological jargon. Positionally, I am made right with God. So it is a gift given at salvation. But it's not only a gift, it is a growth. We call that progressive sanctification. Every day, I am to be more like Jesus. Every day, my will is to conform more into the will of God. But not only is it a gift and a growth, it is a goal. What do I mean by that? The Bible says without holiness, no one will see God. So is that your goal? Are you prepared to become holy? Preacher, you don't know who you're talking to. Oh, I think I do. Are you prepared to clean up your life? I'm not a betting man. I don't bet. But I would say that 99.5% of the people in this room have a little soft spot in their life where they're given to cave into sin. There there is something that, that the devil knows about in your life that if you will allow him, he's going to pull you down every time. And you're not quite as holy as you need to be. Would you become holy? Maybe you need to be like Robert Murray McShane of Dundee, Scotland. The 1839 revival in his country began with him. After he died, they found his uh, quiet time Bible, the Bible that he prayed out of every day, and it was falling apart. But they kept noticing this phrase throughout the pages of his Bible that he had handwritten in there. Here was his prayer. God, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. Pretty good prayer. Let me tell you, it's not an option. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. So, here's our job, church. To become broken, humble ourselves, to pray. To pray with self-judgment. To pray earnestly, seeking his face, and to become holy. And what happens when we do these things? Well, There is a promise that sounds revival. Read the verse again. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sins. Then I will heal their land. What is that promise? It's threefold. There's the promise of divine intervention. God said, then I will hear from heaven. Listen, God's not going to intervene until you get your life right. And when we get our life in line with heaven, then God is going to forgive, and then God is going to heal. So there is the promise of divine intervention. Secondly, the promise of divine absolution. I will forgive your sins. Wow. Can I tell you, that's the greatest gift we can receive. The gift of forgiveness. We need to be forgiven. But God is never going to send revival unless we forgive and get things right with other people. God not only expects us to receive forgiveness, but also to extend forgiveness. 
God is not going to send revival to a divided America. God is not going to send revival to a divided church. So if you are harboring anger or bitterness or hatred or, yes, even racism, God is not going to bless you. You've got to forgive. Have you ever had anybody just do you wrong? We used to call it do you dirty, man. Have you ever, listen, balcony people, let me talk to you. Have you ever had anybody that has just sinned against you and done you wrong? And just, man, it, it, it ruined your life. What they did to you is wrong. Anybody? It's hard to forgive people like that, especially when they don't come and say, I'm sorry. You know what? As a believer in Jesus Christ, we've got to forgive. We've got to forgive. Seek God's forgiveness. Forgive them. Don't let that root of bitterness grow in your heart because it only ruins you. Forgive. Reminds me of the preacher who was going to preach a revival meeting in a town about an hour from his home. Right before he left the house, he got into it with his wife. You didn't think preachers and preachers' wives got into it, did you? Well, it happens occasionally. They got into this knockdown, drag-out argument and had words with each other, and he picked up his Bible and stormed out and got in his car and, bless God, driving down the road to go preach a revival. About halfway there, he kind of simmered down a little bit and started praying and said, Lord, I need your help. I need your power. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me. Give me words. But he was empty. He knew God wasn't with him. He knew God wasn't even in that car. And he said, Lord, what's wrong? Where are you? And a voice spoke to him. I'm back at home with your wife. (laughs) Where you need to be. So let me ask you, do you need to forgive someone? You don't be the problem that keeps revival from our church because of an unforgiving spirit in your own life. Amen. There is the promise of divine intervention, the promise of divine absolution, and finally, there is the promise of divine restoration. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. That's what America needs. That's what our world needs. We need divine healing. Look at me. I want everybody in here to look at me just for a second. That's what you need. Today, you need to be healed by God. You need divine healing from God. Have you ever heard of W.A. Criswell? He was the pastor of First Baptist Dallas for 50 years. He's, he's been gone for several years, but man, he, 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 he was a mover and shaker before there were movers and shakers. He had a mega church before there was a mega church. At one time, First Baptist was the biggest church in, in the universe, and he was the pastor of it. The story I want to tell you, though, happened long before he became pastor of First Baptist Dallas. He was pastoring a Baptist church in Oklahoma, a little country church in Oklahoma. This is back in the late 30s, early 40s. And he tells a story 
of preaching in that pulpit and the church was packed and he'd be preaching along God's word and all of a sudden somebody in the audience would just start laughing out loud. And somebody else would start laughing out loud. And it was mind-boggling to Criswell because he's, I didn't say anything funny, he said. Why are these people laughing? Other times he'd be preaching along and all of a sudden someone would just start sobbing and weeping and wailing. And somebody else would start crying. And it was mind-boggling because he had not said anything that was sad. And he couldn't figure out, he was a young preacher, he couldn't figure out what, what's going on. While I'm preaching, why are people laughing or crying when I'm not saying anything that is funny or sad? And finally, one day, God revealed it to him and said, Criswell, what's happening is those people are being healed. They're being divinely healed. They're venting their emotions, and they're being healed by me. Criswell went on to say, that doesn't happen in churches these days. People vent their emotions at the movie theater or at ball games, or in crowds of celebration. And when they come to church, they're rigid. Let me tell you, what we need is for you to be able to vent your emotions today and be healed by God. Because there is nothing like divine healing. You need it in your life. You need it. Chances are your family needs divine healing. This church needs divine healing. Our nation needs to be healed by God. So dear Lord, today we, we want to do these things. We want to humble ourselves before you. We want to pray earnestly, seeking your face. We want to become holy men and holy women so that you will hear our prayers, that you will forgive our sins, and that you will heal our land. Help us to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Now, we can't come to the altars today because of COVID-19, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do, those in person and even those online. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you genuinely seek personal revival in your own life, if you mean business with God and say, God, today I want you to break me and I'm, I'm going to pray earnestly for revival in my life, my family, and my church. And Lord, I'm prepared to clean up my life and become a holy man, a holy woman. Lord, do a miracle in me today. Send revival. If that is your prayer and if that is what you earnestly seek, instead of coming to the altars because we can't, what I'm going to ask you to do is just stand up. If you really want to be revived today and you really want to seek God, would you just stand up? Even those who are watching online, wherever you are, just stand up and, and pray to God and say, God, break me. God, heal me. God, make me holy. God, send revival to my life, to my family, to my church. God, heal my land. Heavenly Father, we unite together today as the people of Kavanaugh, and we genuinely seek your blessings. I pray, dear God, that you would revive our lives, our families, revive this church. Lord, let there be a spark that starts in the hearts of some people at Kavanaugh today that would spread like a wildfire through the River Valley, through America, through our world. Dear God, we need, we need revival. We seek revival. Lord, renew us. 
as we rededicate our lives to you. Lord, have your way. Do something amazing in this church and through our ministries. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen, amen. Amen. You can remain standing. I'm about to dismiss you. Uh, When you walk out the door, make sure you drop your offering in the uh, offering boxes out there. Tune back in tonight online at 6 p.m. The only service we're going to televise tonight is Brother Johnny's Kids Church. So gather around as a family. Even if you don't have any kids, it would be good for you to listen to Brother Johnny and little Billy. Uh, They make things simple for you, and uh, and you need to hear that tonight. Then on Wednesday night, we'll be online again, live at 7 o'clock. Our youth pastor, Brother Nathan, is going to be preaching, so pray for him and tune back in. You're going to say, Brother Will, when when are we going to get back into the the groove of things? When are we going to have kids' church and we worship and Bible study and Wednesday night? Well, we had all that planned out when we were going to start those things, but right now Arkansas is re-spiking in COVID-19, and many are putting on their brakes, so we're just holding on to see what happens. You pray with me. Pray with me that, you know what, this would all end and that even through this, we could be a light to a dark world and we could share the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that I love you, all right? Our staff loves you. Most of all, God loves you. One last thing, I heard that Devin Dundee, our media pastor, is having a birthday today. So happy birthday, Devin, wherever you are up in the sound booth. Happy birthday. Uh, Is it... 20, 28, 28, I have socks in my sock drawer that are older, no, I'm not kidding, I'm, I'm kidding, love you, Devin, appreciate all you do, man, let me tell you, Devin has been stretched during this COVID thing, but we're so thankful for what he does around our church, when you see him, wish him a happy birthday, appreciate him so much, God bless you, you're dismissed.